Thank you very much for coming out here and for joining us. The objective of today's class is to give you a little bit of background of where the Tadya comes from and to look at the opening page of the Tadya, the title page upon which the whole thing is based. And the primary objective of every Tadya class is to uh, be able to take something home that could help us in our day-to-day life in the way that we serve Hashem. And when I speak about it, the way that we serve Hashem, that's not limited to uh, um, shul, it means in life, because our neshava comes down into this world, and it serves Hashem in many different ways. When we talk about serving Hashem, it's a broad term, and that's why the Tanya doesn't only address halacha or different areas of Jewish practice, it really addresses life at large, dealing with what we're doing here in this world, and what we can achieve, and how we can achieve it, and the different things that may come up in the way, um, challenges. Um, it's an amazing book. For those of you that are in the back, you're lucky, you're right next to a map of the Tanya on the wall. On the wall, the other side, right here. So it's, at the moment, that's probably gibberish, but that's a map of the entire Tanya. But you'll see there's different sections. The first section of the Tanya speaks about who we are, and then it speaks about. Um, what God expects of us. And then it speaks about the challenges that come up along the way. This is just, you know, off the top of my head, but it really deals with all different areas of life. And in dealing with challenges, it does speak about how to um, stay happy, not be depressed, not be down. Obviously, issues that we all deal with in one form or another, because that's part of serving Hashem. Part of serving Hashem is not just doing the mitzvahs, but really being healthy and being strong and being productive and being able to achieve. So uh, that's what we have in front of us. Um, and most importantly, out of every class, I think I'm repeating myself, we want to be able to walk home with something that we could perhaps implement, whether it's a tool or it's an inspiration, but it's really hopefully hands on and life on. So whether we see you here again or not, Either way, hopefully today is something that you can uh, take with you and that will be wonderful. That itself, um, that will be, we'll know that the class was a good class. If sometime during the week ahead, you feel here's something that I learned, let's see how we can utilize it. So now you have in front of you two handouts, um, hopefully. The first is a map of Torah from Sinai. It's got a lot of colorful boxes. You can take a look at that. Don't worry, I'm not testing you on it. And again, it might look mostly gibberish to you. But the idea is to just explain where the Tanya comes from. So, uh, you know, we know there's the five books of Moses that Moses got at, on Mount Sinai. Um, but where does the Tanya fit in? Where does it come from? Is this human wisdom? Is it godly wisdom? Is it part of the Torah? What part of the Torah? Where does it fit into the bigger picture? Um, it's obviously a whole class in its own right. In fact, a whole series, a Jewish history series, which we do separately. But I wanted to just give a very brief um, look at that as well. So we have approximately 2,000, uh, sorry, approximately 3,300 years ago, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and he receives the Torah. The Torah came in two forms. There was the written Torah and the oral Torah. The written Torah was divided into the five books of Moses. And that's what we read in Shul. That's the Parsha. The Parsha takes the five books of Moses and divides it up over the course of a year. So by the end of the year, we would have made our way through the five books of Moses. And that's that first 
box on your top right, on your top left, called Torah. And then we have all the prophets. So the the five books of Moses cover from the creation of the world, um, five thousand seven hundred and eighty-two years ago, up until uh, um, Moses passing. The five books of Moses end with Moses passing, and then we have all the prophets that follow. And those are the two boxes on the right. And then we have the prophets, the Nevi'im, and then next to them we have the Ksuvim, which are the writings like Tehillim or the Megillah, different writings of the prophets. This is all the written Torah. Now with the destruction of the... Sorry? This is all the written Torah. I think. Now with the destruction of the temples and the Jews being uh, exiled, they, uh, there was a lot that... Moses had heard from God on Mount Sinai that had never been written down, which was also important. And those things were taught from parent to child. It was referred to as the Oral Torah. There came a time when the Jews were now going into exile. They, they were falling apart in some sense. And the rabbis decided it's time to start recording that which we never wrote down until now. Now the Oral Torah is huge, but on the map in front of you, there's three primary boxes. In the middle, there's what's called the Mishnah which flows into the Gemara or the Talmud, and that's oral law. So for example, if you read the five books of Moses and you see it says that you should slaughter the animal in the way that I commanded you, you'll, you'll, you won't find anywhere in the entire written Torah instructions of how to shecht an animal. It's, but God says in the way that I commanded you. So what's going on? Did you command them or didn't you? The answer is he did. He did so orally. So that was recorded in the, the Mishnah or the Gemara. That's, the, that's oral law. On the... On the Right-hand side, there's Midrash. Midrash are a lot of the stories which your children hear in school, a lot of insights into what was going on beyond what's written in the, in the Torah. What's on the left-hand side is the Zohar, in that second column. The Zohar was written by the same rabbis that wrote the, that first recorded oral law, but it wasn't oral law. It was oral, it was oral Torah, but it wasn't oral law. What was it? It was a deeper understanding of everything, a deeper understanding of God, a deeper understanding of life. The problem was it was so deep that it wasn't really things that the average person could understand. And therefore the Zara was kept as a secret. Fast forward a couple of hundred years or thousand years, there's a timeline on the left. We have a Kabbalist by the name of the Arizal who decided it's time to start teaching these Kabbalistic teachings. But it was only when the Tanya was printed, this book that I have in front of me, that a lot of these Kabbalistic teachings really be, began to be taught in a way that a commoner, a person that really doesn't know anything, will be able to glean from its wisdom, be able to learn from it, and be able to understand it, and to be able to internalize it. So that's what the Tanya is. The Tanya is a collection of teachings from the Zohar and from all else. I don't know if it came out in my copies. It looks like the printer was going. But there's lines, thin lines. You'll see that leading towards that Tanya box at the bottom, it takes a little bit from the Talmud, it takes a little bit from the Zohar, it takes from different areas, because it, the Tanya collects from all different areas of the Torah, but the primary objective of the Tanya is for every Jew to be able to um, take instruction of how they could live a better life, and how better they could serve God. So the Tanya is referred to as Lukutei Amara, which means a collection of sayings. Because it collects from a, a, a statement of the Zohar, from a statement of the Chumash, from a, a statement of the Code of Jewish Law. It collects from all different statements in order to help us understand 
what we need to be doing or how we could do it to give that, that inspiration, to give us that guidance. So that's just in a few minutes where the Tanya comes from. Obviously, there's a lot more to be said, but we are trying to keep this um, class to be short and sweet. So that was, if you want to know where the Tanya comes from, that's where it comes from. It comes largely from the Zohar, but it collects from all different teachings with the primary objective of giving us guidance on how we could live our lives as Jews. Then if you look at the second sheet, it's a statement from the Chumash. So as I said, the Tanya collects from all different places. And on the very first page of the Tanya, there's what's called the title page. And it's very short. It says almost nothing. Okay, there is also the author's introduction. But this is, okay, I guess it looks like a lot of Hebrew words, but it's not so much. It pretty much says the name of the book, and it says like this. This book has been collected from different books, from different authors, and it's based on a verse. It's based on a statement that Moses told the Jewish people, and that's in the source sheet in front of you. And what Moses tells the people is like this. Now, I don't have one in front of me, so my translation won't be exactly the same as yours. But Moshe says, Ki This thing that I'm, this mitzvah, this, this command, this Torah that I'm teaching to you today, it's not over the oceans. As you should ask yourself, how am I ever going to be able to get it? It's not in the heavens to say, who's going to climb the heavens in order to get it? Rather, and this is the bold part, it's what's the foundation upon which the whole Tanya is based, this matter is very dear to you in your mouth and in your heart that you do it. The Tanya says like this. The objective of the Tanya is to explain how it is close to us. So I don't know if any of you have this feeling. I sometimes do. Sometimes it feels like it's all above our heads. Maybe most of what I'm saying is also, I hope not, but it could be, and that's fine, that's normal. But we look at the Torah, we look at Judaism, and we often feel like this is just, like I want something practical, I want something that's very much me, it's my day-to-day life, it's, 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 it's who I am, it's how I think. And sometimes the Torah really feels like it's above our heads. But Moses, just before he passed away, the last month in this world, he turned to the Jewish people and he said, I have a very important message for you. And this message for you is, it's, it's not the case. The Torah is not in the heavens. It's not over the oceans. What is it? It's very dear to you. That you could say it in your mouth and you could feel it in your heart and that you could do it. Okay, that's what Moshe told the Jewish people. Very nice to say, but how? I mean, what if you don't feel that way? What if the Torah does not feel very close to you? So the author of the Tanya says, this is what I want to explain to you. I want to explain to you how it is close. But we've only got a few minutes today, but the author of the Tanya said that the way that I'll explain this to you is in a long, short way, meaning there's no shortcuts. So yes, we want to just know how the Torah is relevant to us, but it's a journey. And so the Tanya is a journey. It's a journey that we go on to be able to slowly but surely get in touch, get in touch with God, get in touch with the Torah, get in touch through that with ourselves. And this is really the mission statement of the Tanya, to explain how is it very close to us. So that statement that Moses told the Jewish people a few thousand years ago, came the author of the Tanya, and he said that I want to explain how Judaism, how God, how Yonashama is all something that's very close to you. It's something that you really can develop a relationship with. That's the objective of the Tanya.
I see we've got how many bubbles? Nine bubbles. Great. We're doing just fine. So let's talk a little bit about the author of the Tanya, just to give a little bit more of a historical context. We spoke a little bit about it the other week by the Shleishim, but we'll chat about it a little bit more. I want to talk a little bit about the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov was the founder of the Hasidic movements. I didn't mention Hasidus until now in that map of the Tanya, but the Tanya really is um, what's called the Bible of Hasidic teaching. It takes a lot of teachings that were taught by the Hasidic masters and it explains it in a step-by-step formula. So let's talk a little bit, a few moments about Hasidus once again. As I said, we touched upon it a few weeks ago, but um, there's so much more to be said. And now I'd like to just share with you some of the background, one or two stories, and we'll end with that. So the Baal Shem Tov, his name was Yisrael, and he lived in Poland. And we'll talk about before he was born, um, his, his soul as it existed before it came into this world. So here we go. It's a fascinating story. And if you're wondering how would we know what happened to his soul before it came into this world. So interestingly, the founder of the Hasidic movement, the Baal Shem Tov, had a teacher that was... Uh, otherworldly and he was able to share with him a lot of insights of beyond what the regular human being sees and, and at some point he shared with him the story of his neshama because our bodies are finite our bodies come down into this world for however many years and that's it but the neshama is a part of Hashem and Hashem is infinite and the neshama has many journeys and, and the neshama of the Baal Shem Tov also had a previous journey people are up and wondering you know am I a reincarnation what's the story of my soul well, if you ask me, I have no idea because I, I don't know these spiritual things. And, and if you try to figure it out yourself, you might also be mistaken because uh, how would we know? But the Vashemta was luckily enlightened. In a letter he received from one of his teachers, Rabbi Adam Baal Shem. The story is like this. There was a Jew in Tzvat, simple Jew, the holy city of Tzvat. And uh, he didn't know much at all. Not sure if he knew how to read. He certainly wasn't learned in any of the books. He knew almost nothing. Sfat was a big center of, 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 of study. The, many of the Kabbalists and many of the great um, uh, codifiers of Jewish law, the author of the Shulchan Aruch, the code of Jewish law, lived in Sfat. Sfat was a, a city of many scholars. But this particular Jew, he knew almost nothing. But although he knew so little, he had a real purity. He had a real sincerity. There was something very special about him. It was decided in heaven to send down Elijah the prophet. The year is 1572. Elijah comes down into this world. He knocks on his door one evening. He asks who's there. He says it's Elijah the prophet. He welcomes him in and Elijah tells him that I have come to tell you many secrets. I've come to tell you when the Messiah will come. But I want you to tell me what you did on the day of your bar mitzvah. In heaven, they don't see everything that's going on. But they, what happens, people often ask about the afterlife and what goes on in heaven. In heaven, they don't see every detail. But what they do see is they see the impact of our actions. And that's why it's so important when we get together for a Torah class or a mitzvah, that really the Neshama feels that in a deep way. It's not able to necessarily see things the way we see things, but it does feel the impact. And Elijah the prophet said, there's something powerful that you did on the day of your bar mitzvah. I want to hear about it. There was a big mitzvah, something amazing that you did. 
And this youngster, I'm not sure how old he was actually, it was after, uh, obviously over Barbisva, maybe he was already an adult. He said, no, it's between me and God. You have, you have no business knowing what I did. It was my mitzvah. We see over here the sincerity of this neshama. And Elijah the prophet told this little boy, he said, if you tell me what you did on the day of your bar mitzvah, I'm going to tell you all the secrets of the Torah. Your mind's going to open up. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be a different person. He said, okay, but no thank you. The mitzvah that I did was between me and God. So here he had the gates of wisdom were, were being offered to be opened up before him. But he said that I'm not willing to give up what I did. My mitzvah was just between me and Hashem. It's not for anybody else to know. And to this day, we don't know what that mitzvah was. Mm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but we don't. And maybe that's what makes this story special. But Elijah the prophet turned to this, um, this soul and he said, you know what, because of your sincerity and your beauty, I am going to teach you all the secrets of the Torah. And they sat and they learned. And what was remarkable was that the city of Tzfat never noticed any change in this person. He remained the same person before as after. And once he began to learn, he became a Kabbalist. He became well-versed in, in, in thousands of pages of Torah, of literature. But nobody would know anything of it because he wasn't arrogant. He wasn't looking to show it off. He was just on a personal, sincere journey of, 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 uh, of serving Hashem. And that's, that was it. And he passed away and his soul came to heaven and there was a commotion in heaven of the sincerity and beauty of this neshama. And they decided that, I don't know if the soul would call it a punishment or a reward, but they decided that this neshama has to come back down into this world and he needs to teach a new path in the service of Hashem. And it was this neshama that came down as the Baal Shem Tov. Mm. Now how was he born? So here's story number two. His parents, Abraham, not Abraham, Eliezer and Sarah, if I remember correctly, were together, a young couple, um, wealthy, very hospitable, but unfortunately they didn't have any children. And it paid them terribly. And one particular Shabbos, they had uh, a knock on the door. It was Shabbos day, I believe. Maybe Friday night. But either way, there was a knock on the door. There was a guest outside. And he asked if he could join them. And now, these were very hospitable. This Eliezer and Sarah, they would have many people at their tables every Friday night in Shabbos day. They had living quarters. People would sleep over. They'd stay till after Shabbos. Sometimes they'd only go home on Sunday morning. And this Eliezer... Sorry, uh, this Jew that knocked on the door, he knocked on the door on Shabbos. And if you rewind 300 years to Poland, people were Torah observant at the time. It was Shabbos observant. And it was a little bit shocking to the other guests that this guy shows up to the house on Shabbos. Like, you know, he could have come beforehand. He could have advanced. But like, how's he traveling on Shabbos? Maybe it's hard for us to relate to that because we're in a bit of a different space today. But in that time, it was really... Um, outrageous. It was almost, I don't know if it would be the equivalent of what you'd call, uh, you know, anti-Semitic today, you know, for this little shtetl to have this year that has the chutzpah and all the guests started talking that, I, you know, the chutzpah, how does this guy show up and travel on Shabbos? And Eliezer, he wouldn't hear of it. He brought the guest in and he asked him, did you make Kiddush yet? No, okay, please make Kiddush, make yourself at home. And he really treated him like a king. And then 
he saw the way the other guests were treating him and it made Eliezer again so upset and he went into a room and he started to cry and then he thought now I'm leaving the guests at the mercy of everybody around me I better run back outside and he ran back out he shed away his he wiped away his tears and he went outside and he he, he, shed, he treated this guest like a king the whole Shabbos and the end of the story was this, Eliezer, this guest said I, will, I am again Elijah the prophet I came to test your hospitality and please God God will give you a child and he will uh, uh, bring a new light to the world. So, uh, and, and that became the, the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement. Unfortunately, his parents both passed away when he was very young. And they gave him a message. Firstly, love every Jew with all your heart and soul. And fear, or firstly, fear nobody except God and love every Jew with all your heart and soul. And this became the foundations of the teachings of Hasidus and, the, and of the Baal Shem Tov. Um, as a young boy, he was fearless. His parents told him, fear nobody except God. And uh, after school, he would wander into the forests and just love spending time with Hashem's creatures and Hashem's nature. And in the forest, he found a Kabbalist. There was a Kabbalist that was sitting and praying and he heard the prayers of this Kabbalist and his soul was just, he just sat in the corner and he watched the whole davening. And as this, this person finished davening, he said, can I come with you? He was an orphan of both of his parents. So uh, obviously this person went inside and spoke to whoever the city was, whoever was the orphanage, whoever was that had responsibility for the kid. And he said, I'll take you on my shoulders. Yeah. And, 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 as, and as a young boy, he began to hang out with the Kabbalist, which I'll tell you maybe a little bit more about, please God, next week, of how they went about hiding their, uh, their uh, wisdom in order to be able to relate to the commoner. And so if there's a message that you could take from today's class, it's the importance of sincerity, of doing a mitzvah just before, just for Hashem, and uh, and of love and of hospitality and the special, I guess, the Shabbos as well in this world that we could learn a lot from. Please, God, thanks for joining. Thank you so much.